Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. On episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight One Day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear One Days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say, parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice, not fear of the disease associations with myopia, is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm Ted McElroy, and today I have a wonderful guest with me, Audrey Rayleigh. Uh, she is a unbelievably talented individual, especially when you start considering how much she's done in such a short period of time. Um, I'm, I'm quite jealous, i got to say, Audrey. This is kind of really impressive, uh, everything that you've done. Um, but... And you may be, you know, it seriously is a really great thing. I'm, I'm very happy to have you here on the show with us today. Well, thank you so much. This is actually really cool. I've been listening to the podcast for quite some time, and I love all the conversations that you have. So, you know, of course, when we kind of, um, after a couple of meeting in person, meeting in person and us getting to kind of talk about different things, and obviously you doing this and saying, hey, I want to have you come on. I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak with me. Perfect. So what I'd like to do to start off with is to sort of just tell your origin story. How did you get to where you are today? I mean, you can start, you know, from birth if you want and go back, you know, however you want it. But I'd literally love to hear your origin story. Yeah, well, you know, I am a Texas girl through and through. I grew up in central Texas in kind of what they call the hill country area. And I'll probably never leave the state. I just love it so much. Um, I, in fact, when I decided I wanted to become an optometrist, I don't, I didn't apply to anywhere else except for the Texas schools um, because I wanted to stay here that bad. Um, but I, you know, kind of decided I wanted to become an optometrist when I was in high school. And so moving to Texas A&M for my undergrad and then to U of H, um, which is where I graduated from optometry school in 2017. Um, I kind of developed, um, you know, this, this thought that I really wanted to open my own practice. And, um, that's been something that's been instilled in me for quite some time. I think, and, you know, you talk about your origin story and thinking about my parents, my dad, um, was self-employed, started his own insurance business. And so I got to see what that looked like and the flexibility that he had in business ownership. And even though it's a completely different industry, I just always really, kind of respected what dad did and he was very involved um, with my brother and I as, as children and, and that was just really nice. My mom was actually involved in orthodontics. She wasn't an orthodontist, but she worked in kind of that medical office setting and um, both of my parents just worked really, really hard and I think I obtained a really high level of work ethic because of that. And I don't have any optometrists in my family, but I was good at math and science and I thought that the gift of vision and sight was really cool and rewarding. So, you know, in high school, I mentioned that's kind of when I decided I wanted to move forward. 
there was an optometrist in particular that had kind of told me, hey, you know, there's a lot of different routes that you can take with this. And, you know, being a business owner is very, um, you know, advantageous and rewarding and, and flexibility and, and being a female. And you kind of have to think about all those things. So she kind of was, I would say, the first person that really in, inspired me. And in moving into undergrad, I actually worked part time. And, and this is so funny because it's, it's coming full circle. So actually, I'll just kind of jump ahead at my office right now, which I opened three and a half years ago in New Braunfels, Texas. We have had some an influx of students coming in and kind of shadowing like pre optometry students. And so we hired one kind of part time. She's applying for optometry school next fall. And I'm cracking up because this is kind of what I did. But when I was originally hired, I worked for an optometrist. They, they had me come in like two hours a day and literally just shred papers, shred papers, um, file things. I mean, take out the trash, but it, it got me in the door and I started observing and learning and slowly. And I worked there for about, the, I wanted to say like about two and a half years um, in undergrad. Uh, they kind of started teaching me more things. I got exposed to optical. I got a little bit into patient pre-testing, which that was, you know, fantastic. So that doctor wrote my rec letter for optometry school, but it's coming full circle now because I feel like now I'm kind of paying that forward and I'm looking at her. She started with us, maybe our intern, as I'm calling her, um, started with us maybe a month and a half ago and I'm going you have no idea what this, like how much you're going to learn in this amount of time and what this is going to do for you. So it's super, I feel like I'm paying it forward, so to speak. Um, but anywho, kind of going back to, you know, where I started and where I ended up now, um, I decided to start my practice shortly after graduation, which I know I told you Ted just a little bit about, but, um, one of my mentors is Laurie Sorensen, who put me in touch with uh, Dr. Robert Steinmetz and Dr. Eric Boss, who uh, started Eye Care Advisors, and they consult doctors to open practices across the country. And I, I started my practice with their method, and it was uh, very cool to, shortly after I opened my own practice, them to turn around and ask me to join their team. So that's been a really amazing and neat um, opportunity because I basically opened the doors to my own practice, which when I was doing that kind of short-sightedly, I felt like that was kind of the pinnacle of what I could do. And now I have this really unique opportunity to impact multiple doctors and people in our profession and really just like have a wider range of you know, pause again, positive impact. Like what can I do beyond the four walls of my little practice? And so that's been very, very cool. So how long between graduation and starting your own practice was it? So I practiced for six months, um, basically moonlighting. So I built a schedule entirely moonlighting uh, about six days a week. So I could be in three to four different offices within a given week, sometimes five. Um, and I did that actually in Austin, uh, cause that's where my last insurance internship or externship, you know, whatever you want to call it was. Um, so essentially that was 2017 and then January of 2018 was my new year's resolution to get serious about starting my own practice. And I, engaged with eye care advisors in February and then opened the doors actually in March of 2019. Wow. That was fast. Um, you know, and very fast. And I, you, yeah. And, and you probably remember because it hasn't been that long ago. Um, and I'm saying this in again, full jealousy here. Um, since you were sitting in class or in your private practice club and the question was asked, how many of you want to go into private practice and every hand in the room goes up. And then the next question is how many of you are planning on doing this in the first two or three years and every hand goes down except for maybe one. So you're that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think actually, and this is what's actually crazy about our class is that I think only three hands went up and What's crazy now is I've actually had probably at least, I want to say 10 to 12 of us have opened since. So I was kind of one of the first. And then I think 
I mean, just like anything else, you watch someone else do it. You're like, okay, if you know, not that it looks easy, but you're like, okay, it's doable, right? Like it's in, in starting a practice, right? It's like, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it does take a certain level of grit and, um, blood, sweat, and tears or whatever you want to call it. You have to be the right person for it. It's not for the faint of heart as I would describe. Um, and then too, what was so crazy was I opened, I celebrated one year in business. We had a big old party in March and it was March 14th. Actually, it was a Saturday, the sad, the last Saturday before the COVID shutdown, which was wild. And, you know, looking back, I mean, it was so scary. I'm thinking, I mean, we were all scared. We didn't, we didn't know what to do. Right. I mean, everyone, you know, we didn't know anything. And I, you know, I sat in my office that week on the Friday and I'll never forget. I just kind of sat there and just broke down, just kind of lost it because I was so nervous about what was going to happen. Looking back, having gone through the pandemic as we all have, for me, I feel like that's one of the best things that could have happened so early on in my career because I mean, just to put it simply, really taught me how important, you know, cash is king, right? Yeah. Um, and it changed a lot about how I manage the money in the practice because, I mean, it got it got down to the wire there. So it was it was interesting, kind of going through that experience so early. So how how when when you're you must have gone through this thinking, okay, this is going to be new. Um, <laughs> and I would, I would have to imagine that you probably set a lot of goals before the pandemic goes in. How do oh, those yeah. goals change as you're going through something? I mean, and, and I'm using pandemic as just basically any crisis because we're going to have more crises. I hate to right. tell everybody, but there will be harder times. So what, how do you change the way you do your goals and how do you go about even setting your goals in situations like that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, take someone who is already in a cold start position where none of the metrics or any of the things that you're supposed to follow make sense because you're starting from nothing. So there's all these percentages and metrics and industry norms that we look towards and your first couple of years, I mean, you're really just trying to get those butts in the chair and get every penny you can. So you're already floundering, so to speak. And then you get hit with something like that. And it's like, well, gosh, I mean, we don't even know what this is going to look like. And so for me in that point in time, all larger, long-sighted goals kind of went out the window. And I had to stop and realize the small and little things matter. What are we gonna do on the small scale that compounds and adds up over time so that we can get this ball rolling and moving? You guys are hearing my dachshund barking in the background. Um, Wiener dog. <laughs> she is, and she's very vocal. Um, so I think it really just became about, let's put our head down kind of put the blinders on a little bit. Let's just take one day at a time, look at what's right in front of us. And and to be honest with you, I mean, it really just refined so many processes. It made us get really surgical with how we were doing things and the fine details, which was good because when we got to more of, we're growing, we're busier, the world is opening back up, we're getting patients back in at more of a regular volume, you know, I say that in air quotes because as regular volume as you can be as a cold start practice, um, you know, we already kind of had these things in place and I've spoken with other, you know, docs, obviously, since this has all happened, it's like what I ended up realizing and I felt so fragile and volatile as such a young cold start practice with no cash, but I realized I kind of had an easier route because the medium size and larger practices completely had to, you know, go from high, high, you know, revenue volume, all the things, right. You got to go way, way down. You've got a lot on your ship and then you've got to get all the way back up. And it, it to me, looking back, I, I went, oh my gosh, I feel kind of grateful because that seems so hard. Like I respect the larger practices and how they manage that because I didn't have near as much 
of like the staffing, you know, issues. I mean, we just, we have less people. It's less, it's less to manage. It's less overhead. Right. So right. that was really interesting navigating that. But I mean, I got to be honest with you. We, our goals really shifted because of that. Um, you know, and obviously too, like 2021, I mean, we really blew it out of the water. And then this year being mostly back to normal, my growth has just completely shocked me. And because I do other things ancillary to just refined eye care, I feel like for the amount that I'm able to put in my practice and what I'm getting out of it right now, I'm actually extremely proud of. So that's been really neat. What what big financial lesson, what was the big financial lesson you got in the last year? I mean, and I'm talking about not, I mean, because you're, you're talking about how this was the more normal year. So what's been the big financial lesson right. you've gotten this year that you didn't have all this pressure, quote unquote, on you? Hmm. You know, I think this whole time I've, I've had this kind of larger goal of figuring out, okay, you've you've spent a lot of time, you know, getting to this point, Audrey, you've obviously accumulated a lot of debt. Um, you got to start figuring out how to kind of compensate yourself and, and really, you know, align your kind of personal financial goals and how that ties in with the practice. So there's been a lot of maneuvering of like, okay, what is this going to look like moving forward? How am I going to scale? Um, I, I want to bring in, you know, an associate doctor at some point. I, you know, I think most people do, right? But it it's it's been interesting um, looking at kind of managing the debt in the practice and the profitability of the the practice and kind of what do we want to move towards next. And so, I feel like I'm spending a lot of time learning how I conquer that, and it's a realm that I feel like. You know, I feel as if I could go and, and cold start another practice and yes, it would have, it would be difficult, but it wouldn't be near as difficult as it was the first time because I kind of know how to do it. And I also consult folks on doing it, <laughs> but the next stage is a little nerve wracking because I've not walked through that just yet. And so, um, you know, and even too, I mean, you get into years two and three of your practice, you start making little money, you have more tax liability. So this week I was talking with my CPA and kind of learning how to strategize around that. But I really think that, and then you know this, cause we've talked about it, what's been extremely helpful to me and I feel maybe a little ahead of the game is, you know, the idea of profit first. And I was lucky in that knowing Laurie and her kind of mentoring me. And I always, you know, speak to students about how important it is to have mentors, but her having me read that book and me getting to meet people like Mick Kling and then yourself, which of course I was learning from you and we didn't even really meet yet, but you didn't know I was learning from you from afar um, and different things that you've shared. But um, I feel like that's been instrumental because it's really taught me how to manage the cash flow in the business. And that helps me goal, goal set with, uh, with finances because one pitfall of obviously the pandemic and what we're dealing with now is this issue of retaining our employees and our team. So I'm kind of looking at how do I maximize the people that I have to where they're going to have maximum efficiency, maximum output, be the best versions of themselves. Are there things that we can outsource in the business that are more kind of autopilot type tasks, you know, different platforms and, and vendors and things that we can use. And then really just for the people facing type of, you know, or patient facing guest facing, as you would say, um, you know, we've got, uh, really just rock star individuals who can really move the needle in a lot of different ways. And so I feel like that's what I'm also working towards. And that's been kind of a financial, I don't know that I can really say it's a lesson because I'm still learning about it, but maybe a, a challenge because it's something that I'm trying to, you know, get better at and really become competitive in. So what has surprised you about these last three years that you just really did not expect with your practice? 
Yeah, I, you know, I really feel, I feel like it's the people in my practice. I did actually did not realize how much of an impact that I would have on my team in terms of cultivating them, uh, caring for them. I mean, I, Ted, I have a really like deep seated, rooted emotion to caring for my team. And I think that's part of my personality, maybe inherent, but also I just didn't expect to have, you know, this opportunity to really lead people. And what I find is that the people that I have, I'm obviously very grateful for, but seeing them grow and seeing them have success in our practice with our patients, it's just the most rewarding feeling in the world. And of course we know, you know, life happens. It's a revolving door. You know, these, I want these people to stay with me as long as they can, but to, to not really think about that aspect of the practice, to think that I could be, you know, in charge of a group that's really having a positive impact on our community. You kind of tend to only think about the doctor and the patient relationship, and you forget about how important that relationship is with your team, because you cannot yourself have the same, you know, span of impact without them. And, you know, we've, we've had patients, and I'll just use this as an example, but, you know, someone having a really hard day, and, and I know we probably all have these examples, but they come in and everybody is so kind and sweet and endearing and everyone is willing to lend a hand and help each other out. And a patient comes in having a bad day and they break down crying, you know, because they feel comfortable and they just say, thank you for being so kind. I always love coming here. It makes me feel, you know, it's like, oh, wow, we really are doing such a special thing here besides just restoring sight. And it is such a big deal, but I don't know. It's It's been, you know, I would say more than anything, I, I don't really lose sleep over the insurance plans, things are doing on the online markets and like all the challenges we face in optometry. Like with that, I'm, I'm like, okay, I can, I can manage that. We can navigate that. There are things that we can do. I'm kind of a half glass or a glass half full kind of person, but I tend to worry more about like my team and how we're doing things and how we can become better versions of ourselves to help more people and to increase, you know, our positive impact in our community. So that's been the one really big unexpected thing. I, I don't know if, if you feel the same, but um, you've obviously been at this a lot longer than I have. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah. no, yes, I, I have been. I don't <laughs> No, I, don't like that. I know what you, yeah, oh, I know what you gosh. mean, but you know, the, the, the best part about it, I mean, what I, what I realized a long time ago, and I, I don't like spend a lot of time taking this, taking the microphone because this is mostly about you in this point, but I will have to say that the thing I did learn is that my customers are my team. It is not my guests. Um, mm. and there was a, I'm, I'm trying to remember it's uh, Clarence Otis, I believe is his name. Uh, he was the um, CEO for for um, Darden Restaurants. Darden Restaurants uh, is is you know your Longhorn Steakhouse, Capital Grill, all that kind of stuff. I uh, forgot what what he's doing now, and it's a pretty amazing thing he's doing now, even though he's retired, quote unquote. But he said, "The experience of your guests will never exceed that of your team." If mm. your guests are getting a crappy experience, it's probably because your team is getting a crappy experience. And basically, you can't help but say at that point, what part of my leadership is is adding to the results I'm getting? So I have to I have to treat them at a higher level than I do even the guests that are coming in and writing our checks to pay us with. Um, so. Mm. It sounds like you've got that same mentality because of the way you care about your team, the way that you're you're trying to support them. What what kind of things are you doing to develop them? Well, so I try as much as I can to 
kind of randomly check in with them. You know, there's there's a lot of, I don't know, debacle or debate over whether or not you should do, you know, standardized reviews, so on and so forth. And I will, you know, about every six months or for their year kind of sit down more formally and kind of go over, okay, here's what you've improved. Like, here's what we need to work on. Here's the goals that we'd like to set. But I try to check in, you know, as much as I can. And, you know, I've encouraged everyone to become certified, like all the things that you would normally do or expect. I, I started doing something and I don't, I may have seen this on Boodocs somewhere, um, our listserv, um, just in the exchange of ideas. But essentially it's like, it's called a vibe check where you're kind of having them say for a certain period of time. And I just say, you know, turn this in by this day. It's a written sheet of paper that says overall in general, over the past, you know, 30 or 60 days. And I'll specify the time. What was your level of anxiety? Um, what were your general feelings coming to work every day? And please list three self-care items, you know, that you have performed over the past month. And that's very helpful because it gives me a little insight onto where their head's at and what they may be struggling with. And if we need to have a larger conversation about, you know, what things might be going on in their personal life that may affect their work. And, you know, I, I try as much as I can to let them know it's okay to come in and say, guys, I'm not thriving today. You know, I, I need a little help. I need a little assistance. We're a team. We're here to support you. You're a person, you're a human being. Yes, you're a team member and employee, but also you can't be your best self to patients. Like literally just like you just said, right? Um, unless you're not having a great time and some days you're just not going to because something's going on and you don't have to tell me about your personal life, but I want to have a transparency where they can just say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling today. Okay, good. We got your back, you know? And so that's something a little bit different that I've done. Um, and I, I think I do push a little harder in terms of teaching them new tools and techniques. I Luckily, I have the ability to do that because we're a cold start, so I have a lot of direct interaction. I only have three team members that are full-time plus my part-time intern, right? So I have a good amount of exposure to be able to bring them and show them things. And, you know, we kind of had this discussion, um, you know, at a down in Kingwood about what are we doing in terms of meetings? So every morning we do the morning huddle and then once a week we do a team meeting. But one thing that I've learned through, you know, business of optometry and some of the vision source stocks is, well, let's start the meeting out with some good news. Everybody go around the room and let's tell me something good that's completely unrelated to optometry or work or anything. And it's great because we get a sense of what's going on and how people are feeling and maybe something that they've been struggling with that they're able to overcome. Um, and then we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of what we're doing. But what's also nice about doing the weekly meetings is that everybody has a chance to have their voice heard. We get to address problems that I otherwise would have no clue about. Um, and I didn't start that way. I used to only do once a month meetings. But if we missed a meeting, I mean, that may really hurt us because it may be two months before we had another sit down meeting. So, I mean, I think communication with them both on a one on one and also a group setting is just so key. And you just have to try to build that in as best as you can. Um, and I still I mean, I'm very hypercritical of myself and I'm very much a perfectionist and I can look at anything and point out things that need to be improved, which kind of stinks sometimes because it's almost like I'm never satisfied because I'm like, it can be better. It can be better. <laughs> it can always be better. Um, but yeah, um, you know, we, we do our best. But I agree with you. It can always be better. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on that one. A hundred percent. Um, you know, that's, I once had a friend of mine, uh, say one of his team had said to him, um, how come good enough isn't good enough? And he said, because it's not. I mean, it was that it was a perfect answer. I, I you know, I wish I had to come up with it. I, it was a brilliant thing to say, but I think that 
you probably tend to be one of these people that's always in the relentless pursuit of perfection, you know, and you know, you're, you're yeah. never going to get there. Totally. It's a, uh, you know, you're playing the long game. You're, you realize that, you know, once you've reached perfection, well, you know, punch your ticket, I'm finished. Like I really can't do any better than that. So it, it keeps you playing the game and it, that's, there's nothing it more does, fun than playing the game. But I've also, Oh gosh, I know it's, it's a double edged sword, you know, because it's like, because I'm always striving so hard where I end up is probably going to be somewhere good because, you know, the level of my effort and intention is always maybe a little outside of what's reasonable. <laughs> so that's the good part. The, the hard part about being the person that's managing people is you have to also step back and realize that you can't micromanage. You do have to trust, you do have to get out of their way, so to speak, and allow them to rise to the occasion. And so that's, you know, perfect is not the point is one of my mantras. And I have to really keep that post-it very visible so that I can remember that. (laughs) You brought up Lori Sorensen as one of your mentors. How, How do you go about picking your mentors and those you'd mentor? Yeah. I mean, I think people who have mentored me, I've come into contact with and I have kind of opened myself up and and really asked some good questions. And I think that, you know, with each person that that is, it's like obviously because of who they are and what they've accomplished, you know, I kind of know, not necessarily know, but just kind of really thought about the questions that I wanted to ask them before I asked them. And so once they were able to answer those and we were able to kind of develop a relationship, that's where like the mentorship just kind of started naturally happening. Um, I will tell you that one of my mentors, um, who's also located in Austin, Texas, and gosh, if I wouldn't have opened my own practice, I would have worked for him forever because he was awesome. But I was a student at our state convention and he was on a panel of doctors that had opened cold. And I really liked his philosophies and what he had to say. And I remember I was so like almost starstruck by him. And I just, I went and found him after the panel was over and I was like, hi, I introduced myself. And you know, I just had these questions that I wanted to ask him. And I was like, I'm not gonna take a lot of your time but what was great is that he extended the invitation for me to come shadow him at some point which i then did that was when i was uh maybe second year of optometry school maybe first year um as time moved forward we kind of kept in contact we would send a few emails back and forth and i got to that place fourth year where i really didn't know what to do and i was a little bit wanting to move forward into the private practice kind of cold starting, but, but I wasn't quite ready and I didn't know how, and I hadn't been connected with eye care advisors and I was nervous about making the wrong moves or having a misstep, which is totally the perfect personality. Um, and so I connected with him and he sat me down he said, well, Audrey, I'll give you a couple of days of work. And I just remember thinking, what, you know? And, and so he kind of supported and knew that I wanted to open my own practice. He was needing some additional help in expanding his practice. And then through working for him, he continued to mentor me because as you get out of school as a new grad, there's still a ton to learn on the clinical side and dealing with patients. And, um, you know, that was all just because I put myself out there. You know, I saw someone that I admired that I really valued their perspective and I just, kind of introduced myself and everything kind of, you know, fell from there. So when I talk to students, I always encourage them. I mean, you can't, you can't go to someone and say, can you be my mentor? I mean, that's, (laughs) doesn't really work like that, but you can ask to come in offices. You can put yourself in scenarios. You can, um, you know, shadow and obviously find these opportunities to where you can learn. I think, and maybe that's one of the biggest goals of, you know, being a good 
business person or, you know, a good steward of, you know, our profession is like constantly learning, constantly learning, be a sponge. And I had another mentor of mine. I worked for her a couple of summers um, during optometry school. Maybe it was just the first summer because I think we only get the one summer off. But I think those were her words to me. She said, Audrey, be a sponge. She said, you know, everybody's trying to move to the next step in school. You're trying to learn. You're trying to pass your test. But she's like, don't be lazy. Don't just get by. Learn as much as you can all of the time because it's only going to help you. It's an investment in yourself. You know, it's going to project you to the next level. So, I mean, I think it's a tough one, you know, with the mentorship because sometimes, yeah, you're having to step out there. You have to put yourself out there and that's uncomfortable, but we all know that you have more benefit when you're willing to get more uncomfortable. And, you know, this is pretty brave going and asking something like that. So, I mean, how do you practice bravery to get yourself to the point where you do things like that? (sighs) Practicing bravery. Oh gosh. Um, I think the first step is that you just have to make the decision because once you make the decision, and, and again, that's something that I also struggle with. Decisiveness can sometimes be hard for me because I'm very analytical and I think about things from multiple angles and I think about, well, what if this, what if that, okay, if I make this move, how will this affect this? And, and I get very kind of a lot of ways in my head. Um, but if I'm able to arrive at the decision on how I wanna move forward, the one thing I will say about my personality and being a perfect is if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. We're going to, I'm, I'm, if I commit to something, it will happen, you know, and what timeline and how it happens might be a little difficult, but it's kind of practicing making a decision and then deciding to move forward no matter what. And sometimes that's hard because then your question is, well, what if I fail? But like anything, I mean, you know that, okay, well now you're gonna do something different, right? And so there have been a couple of individuals that I've asked to come into their practice. I've shadowed them. I was hoping that maybe the relationship would get farther than it would. Um, It was kind of a one-off thing. They clearly didn't have much perspective or guidance to give me. And I went, okay, well, that's really not somebody that I wanna continue communicating with because I don't really feel like they're vibing, you know, and that's not really how I wanna spend my time versus the ones that you kind of approach and you're able to read where they're at and they're willing to kind of teach you and you're able to ask the right questions, kind of like it makes sense. But I mean, bravery can be hard, I think. I think I think people worry a lot and, and this is getting increasingly worse, I think, as we move forward because of our society and how social norms have changed, but people worry a lot about what will people think of me. I mean, we've even had clients, um, you know, at I care advisors, we, we have to encourage them, you know, no question is silly or stupid. You know, you've got to be able to learn this. You've got to be able to ask these questions and don't worry about what it appears that you know, or don't know, because no one is an expert in the beginning. No one. And then a lot of times, like, you know, experts, right? I mean, that's kind of like, that could be a pretty loose term, right? I mean, I don't know. And this is me just being my harsh, critical self. I don't know that I could ever say I'm an expert in anything because I always feel like I could learn more. I could do better, you know? So I don't know. It's tough. I think I still probably to some regard on certain scenarios still struggle with having the bravery, you know? So do you think it really takes being courageous to be brave? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, like, courageous sometimes is more surety, I think. Um, I think that's what people seem to think is, if I'm going to be brave, well, i got to be courageous first. And what are, mm. what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. And I'd, I'd, this could be a very interesting conversation. I mean, courageousness... It's, yeah, like you said, more sure. It's probably something that you harness. Maybe that's what happens after you've committed to the decision. 
but the bravery is before because the bravery is kind of releasing and letting go of what's holding you back. Bravery is probably saying, I realize that the fear is there, but I'm not going to give power to that. I'm going to push that aside and I'm going to move forward because if I don't, not going to get where I want to go, you know? And so at some point you have to say, well, what's worse? And this is my one question I said before opening cold. The one thing that pushed me over the line to initiate the process was if I don't do this now, I'm going to regret it. And that in itself, I felt like helped me push the fear of starting. Okay. I've aligned myself with individuals that are going to help me with this process. I've got all of these resources around me. All I have to do is leverage it. You reach out, you ask, you leverage your resources. Don't just go in a hole by yourself in the corner and expect things to change. You've got to get out there. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe the difference is that bravery has to be how you get the fear to step aside for a second. It doesn't mean that it goes away completely, but you move it out of your way so you can step forward. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. So, so I want to take everybody back to about 30 minutes ago when Audrey said, you know, she'd been in practice in general for about eight months and then she opens up her own practice. You know, she does that for about a year with eye care advisors. And then they ask her to be one of the advisors at eye care advisors. And <laughs> I would have to imagine that there are, more than one or two people that you're having to coach. I mean, because that's basically what you are. You guys are coaching people that are mm -hmm. a little bit older than you are from time to time. You know, how mm -hmm. did you, how do you, well, first of all, what makes you think you're going to be good at, at private practice? That's the first question. And the second question is what, you know, how do you give advice to people who sometimes are significantly older than you are and have been practicing significantly longer than you have been? How do you, how do you go about, that process. Yeah, I, I think, I think first and foremost, I'm a very humble person. I have a lot of humility. I have a lot of respect for people. And we've had a few clients who are, you know, expert contact lens specialists, residency trained They're They've got tremendous accolades and I really respect them as doctors, you know, and I think for me, in regards to my experience in private practice and what I've learned, luckily, because of kind of what I've been through and, and, and what where, kind of how I mentioned, how I really put myself out there as an undergraduate, as a student, um, you know, I mean, I, I spent my, spent my spring breaks for crying out loud, shadowing optometry offices. Like I just was a maniac because I wanted to get in as many offices as I could. I was at every private practice meeting. I just knew that I needed to learn as much as I could. So, and I, and, and watching me myself, like thinking about myself going through that process and then seeing my peers not do that. Everyone's going on vacations and these cool trips, their first year after time school, I'm working full time in an optometric office. <laughs> You know, it's like, I know that I have, I know that that experience propelled me forward and, and maybe to someone, even if they are older and they've been in practice longer, you know, maybe they just didn't have that same level of private practice exposure. Um, and so, so that helps because I do feel confident about my knowledge and, you know, the mentors that I've had who really poured into me taught me a lot. Um, and a lot of it is state, state specific too. So, I mean, I've got folks from all different directions coming to me about different things that we just deal with our state on the optometric level. But I think what helps is that every client that I deal with or person that I deal with, um, you know, OD or what have you, um, even outside of our clients at eye care advisors is I just let them know that I, again, I'm not an expert. Here's what I do know. Here's what's worked. Here's what. I would recommend based on this. I mean, I always listen before I speak. I want to know where they're at. I want to know what their mission is, what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve. And then based on that, I say, well, here's what I know. Here's what I've seen. Here's what my experience has been. And, and obviously, you know, as eye care advisors, you know, we have, you know, a very unique um, and kind of specialized method 
to where, you know, we've got certain, you know, vendor relationships and things in place and we can make recommendations based on that for each client individually. But as far as like this overarching kind of coaching and, and, you know, what I've walked through because I've had my cold start practice, it's like, okay, well, a lot of my conversations are, here's what's not to do. You know, here's where I messed up and don't do this. And I mean, everybody loves that because they're going, oh, thank God. I mean, that's exactly why I asked as many questions that I did, you know, going through my process. Like, I don't want to mess up. Tell me all the things not to do. Tell me all the things to do. Um, Tell me how I should think about this, strategize about this, so on and so forth. And so I think taking that approach is a lot easier. And my conversations with these individuals are always extremely invigorating and fun and exciting. And I, and for the most part, when I get off calls, I feel, um, or meetings or, you know, different, you know, you know, screen shares, right. I, I feel very enthused. I get, I feel like there is such a bright future in our profession because doctors doing the same thing that I did with cold starting. I just think is so cool. But also on the disc profile, I'm half driver, half influencer and influencers love to see their friends succeed. So I get real, I think that's why I really enjoy doing that because I I love watching people do well, especially people if I get to be a part of it, either like I have an active role or I'm just watching or I know about it. It's like, that really lights me up. All right, so you said that um, that there's a really bright future in optometry. That is not what I hear a lot of times. Um, what makes you think there's such a bright, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm going full, full disclosure. I'm right here with you, sister. I mean, I'm, I'm on that same bus awesome. that you're on. So what is it that makes you think that we've got such a bright future ahead of us? Because, you know, there's all this talk about private equity and how it's going to ruin the profession and, and well, you know, it very well could. And, you know, and there's all these other things. So what is it that's got you such a bright and sunny, sunshiny future coming up here? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got all the naysayers of the world that we got to got to watch out for, you know, the negativity tribe that comes along. I'm just not. Yeah, I'm not. Like you said, I'm not on that bus. I'm not a part of that. I am a very, I feel, positive, innovative person. Um, I enjoy change. I embrace change. And I know that in order to move anything forward, you've got to be open, accepting, and proactive about that. And so, I mean, I can tell you that I see this, you know, on a boots on the ground level you know, there's an established practice not far from my office that's sold to PE and they're hemorrhaging patients and they're hemorrhaging money. And I see that on a daily basis because I'm basically cleaning up the mess. And so, I mean, regardless of how you feel about PE, and I understand it's a different scenario for each person. I mean, I just, I, I don't, I don't feel that optometry will be ruined because of that. I mean, and and tried to avoid like a very in-depth conversation about PE, right? Um, Right. We have these, you know, online retailers and we've got all these different things in the marketplace. But again, the human experience and what you get when you walk into an office where people know you and they understand your needs and your eyes and how that affects your daily life or eyes, as you know, affect everything that we do and how we function. And I don't know, I I don't know how to answer that question very detailed other than just, you know, this is the attitude one that I choose to have. And that's also because I love optometry and I wanna leave it better than I found it. And, you know, to the, to the ones in our profession, unfortunately, who are negative and a little bit of the naysayers, you kind of want to say to them, I mean, do I really want you in my, my realm? I mean, do you want to be here? Because I want the people who are going to really stand up and fight and move things forward and, and again, do positive things. Leave your community and your patients in a better state than how you first found it. And if we, if we're doing that, then we don't, it's, it's like, to me, it's not even really, 
a battle that we have to fight. I mean, from what we've seen, from what I've seen from PE so far, in private practice has a private practice has really grown quite stronger in my opinion. But um, and and maybe I'm I've got the rose colored glasses on. I'm I'm young, um, maybe a little naive. Um, I'm also in a realm where my clients and everybody that I work with on a daily basis is really excited about cold starting. So maybe my perspective is different. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I also think that it's a mindset and an attitude that you choose to have. So, I mean, are these the people that you tend to surround yourself with these, uh, maybe seeing the sunnier side of life type kind of individuals? I try my best, you know, and I've, I've definitely, as we all do, um, you know, have had, you know, struggles in my life and personal things where there's been some real hardship, you know, family, friends. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios that we could discuss, but yeah, it's hard for me to stay in that space. Um, I naturally gravitate towards positive environments and leadership and overall just kind of, you know, doing good in the world. I, I, I really tend to gravitate towards that. So, you know, you mentioned also that, you know, well, actually, cool. it's kind of funny. Our, our beginnings aren't that much different. I, I didn't um, do a cold start, but I kind of did. Uh, I, I ended up going into practice with a doc for about a year or so maybe about a year and a half and one day he said hey i hear bob coleman's practice for sale and dr coleman was this doctor who'd been around for quite a while and um i you know went and talked to him and bought his practice and it was your typical old school practice where they really didn't do any therapeutics it was just glasses and contact lenses because that's what he i mean you know dr coleman fought in world war ii you know and that's he Went to optometry school after he got out of out of the army in World War II, and you know, and he'd been in practice for forty five years here in Tifton, so it was kind of like starting over. Uh, the The big advantage I had was I had a patient population that I could work off of, which you didn't have. But you know, when you're looking at it from a point of where you are right now, and I I wish I had of maybe had this question asked of me someday. How do you want to be remembered? When it's all finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you're asking me that right now. I am asking you that right now. How do you want to be remembered? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've yeah, got to yeah. pass my place. Hopefully I've got more years to go. I actually, no, I, I love that you're actually asking that because I have thought about that. I don't know if that's strange or not, but I, I honestly feel like that's what, drives me sometimes because I mean, life is fleeting, you know, everything that we do is fleeting. And I think the biggest driver at this point and what I've come to realize as of this year, kind of my realization in my head of, of what I want to do and where I want to go with my life. And, and I don't know what exactly this is going to look like over the next couple of decades, but and I'm trying to kind of define that and figure that out for myself, but I want to have, you know, the biggest impact as I possibly can. And when individuals get up um, at state conventions or, you know, maybe at conferences and people are recognized not only for their accolades or their certifications, but just for the impact that they had on the profession and on people hundreds, maybe thousands of people. That to me is potentially like the, the pinnacle of life. I mean, my grandfather unfortunately passed away when I was four. Um, don't really have memories of him at all, but everyone in my family that talks about him, you know, he, he just left this legacy of a person. They talk about at the funeral, people are pouring out of the doors, standing room only, and you, it's almost like, yeah, I mean, you have to be the type of person that really just affects that much change or affects that many people positively 
you know, and how you do that could look different for each person. But I mean, I think for me, it it's, it's how many lives can I, you know, touch in a positive way. And I think if you would ask me that question prior to opening my practice, I would say, well, I want to open a practice and I want to have financial freedom and I want to provide for my family and I want to do what I love and I want to restore sight. But now I'm in a place like, yes, I want to do all those things and I am doing that. But I also want to say, well, how much farther can I get? How, how many more people can I help do this exact same thing? And then what else do I need to be doing to expand my reach and my impact? And I feel like if I can do that, then when I am old and I'm looking back and thinking about how I want to be remembered, then, you know, I will feel really satisfied with myself and my soul and what I've done. So that's probably how I would answer that. Okay. So over these long three and a half years you've been practicing, um, is this how you thought it was all going to turn out? <laughs> no, it's been exponentially better than I ever could have imagined. I am extremely grateful. And sometimes I think you just get on the hamster wheel of going, 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 going. You have to stop and realize like, wow, um, this is actually really cool. You know, <laughs> I'm doing it. This is, I'm doing the things and this is really fun and it's ups and downs and it's a roller coaster and some days are really low and some days are super, super high. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, it's incredible. And I'm probably maybe a little bit more kind of on the higher end of all of that, just because this week was a really fantastic week. Maybe if you asked me last week, I would have had a different answer. <laughs> no, but I'm just being, I'm yeah, totally kidding. But like globally overall, yes, I, what, what has concurred, you know, over the past, you know, several years has definitely gone beyond all of my wildest expectations. And isn't it funny? That's how it kind of always works out. That, that part of it. I mean, you know, you you never real. Oh my gosh, I have never realized it was going to be this good. You know, or you know, this big or something like that. And um, we all well, tend to yeah. see it, the tough stuff. It's incredibly encouraging because then I look at those that have gone ahead of me, and I look at them and think, "What am I going to feel like at that stage?" You know, and so that that's kind of exciting. All right, so I, as we're closing on this, um, what is it that you think that people really need to know before we close off here? You know, I think that, gosh, in a world where we now, sometimes it's easy to fall into, what am I doing what do I want to do? What do I need to do? Um, almost like more of a self-centered kind of selfish perspective. I think that if we can get more in the mindset of, you know, really I'm second and everyone else is in front of me. And I, if I help others, I will receive more back um, and really just kind of be intentional about doing that with our family members, our friends, our patients, uh, colleagues, the more that you're able to give, the more you're able to get back. And so I think if that is the mindset that we have moving forward, then the return that you get is going to be, again, greater than any expectation that you could place um, on yourself or on the future. Perfectly said. Thank you for capping us. Hazel, appreciate it. <laughs> you know, it, this is the it's one like, of the wow, best things. Really? One of the best things about everything that's happened over the last couple of years is now we can just be normal people. We always got this shell of having to be perfect, and, and it's never perfect. There's always a dog or a child running around. I mean, I'm, you know, there's a cat somewhere around here that yeah. I'm surprised I haven't seen her pop up above my head here all of a sudden. So it's this, this has been a miracle of science and technology for me, but. Uh, I really appreciate you being here today. Um, the, the, the amount of gold you just threw down on the floor here for everybody is amazing. Thank you, Audrey, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope that it's helpful. And, um, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>